0: I wonder if you understand grace. I think most of us are not very good at understanding it. A number of years ago, Karen and I had some visitors from the US stay with us. At the end of their visit, they offered to pay us. We insisted that it was our pleasure to host them. After they left, we found the money that they'd offered us underneath their pillow. We'd given our home as a gift. Uh, with no expectation of it being returned, it was grace. Uh, but they didn't understand it. They didn't get it. They felt they had to return the favour. They didn't like being in someone's debt. I think most of us struggle to be in someone's debt. Uh, we're suspicious of the offer. Here's a free gift for you. You know, you get that phone call. Uh, we've got a great offer for you, it's it's free, there are no catches. And we think, come on, what's the catch? Uh, we're uncomfortable with grace when it comes to being in someone's debt. Someone does us a favour and we feel we've got to buy them a bottle of wine or we buy, have to buy them a coffee or something like that. Uh, we don't want to be in someone's, uh, we don't want to accept charity. Uh, we'd rather be independent and not entitled to someone. Uh, of course, being in com- uh, uncomfortable with grace is not something that we just see in everyday life. Uh, it's there in religion as well. Uh, if you think about what religion is, every religion except for Christianity is about how you earn God's favour, uh, how you work to receive a reward. Uh, whether it's the Buddhist Eightfold Path uh, or the Hindu doctrine of karma Uh, or or obeying the Jewish Torah, or keeping the Muslim code of law, all of these is about earning God's approval, paying so that you can receive some sort of spiritual reward. Uh, You see, it's only Christianity that dares to make God's love unconditional. A gift. Uh, Salvation comes purely by grace. And as Jesus teaches it, anyone who thinks that they deserve God's love, who thinks that they are healthy and don't need a doctor, actually disqualifies themselves. Grace is scandalous. It's shocking. It's countercultural. It goes against our nature. Jesus knew all about this inbuilt resistance we have to a free gift, he often talked about it. Uh, he talked about a world that was full of God's grace, uh, where, the sun, where God's sun shone on, on both the good and the bad alike, uh, where birds gathered seed that they hadn't paid for. Uh, he taught about grace, uh, even though he hardly ever used the actual word for grace. Uh, but there were lots of stories he told which focused on grace. Grace. Uh, we saw one last, uh, a couple of weeks ago where the, f- the father forgives the prodigal son even though he's done nothing to deserve it. In fact, he's done everything to show he doesn't deserve it. Uh, he, told, he taught ab- about uh, a-, a wedding banquet where the crippled and the blind and the lame were invited because the invited guests decided they didn't want it. A-, a free offer of a wedding banquet and all they had to do was accept the gift. He tells a story about a king who forgives a servant a phenomenal debt, a debt he has no chance of ever repaying. Uh, And here in Luke 17, Jesus also teaches us about grace. Uh, Once again, the word is not used. Uh, There are three sort of sections here. Uh, The first one talks about how you can show grace to other people. Uh, Then he talks about grace and you, And what it means for how you see yourself if you've been shown grace. Uh, And then the third section, we meet someone who's actually understood grace and and responds to grace the way that Jesus wants. Uh, So our first section, Jesus begins in verse 1. Grace and others, responding with grace. Uh, He's talking to his disciples and he says, It's impossible for stumbling blocks not to come. Now that word, stumbling blocks, uh, it's translated as sin in in verses 1 and 2 in the the version you're looking at, but it's not actually sin. Uh, It's actually stumbling blocks. A stumbling block is something that will trip you up or tempt you uh, or try your patience or test your commitment. It's a difficulty, it's a challenge in your life. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, it's going to be a bumpy road. There are going to be things which will cause you to stumble. But here's the good news. People who cause you to stumble, they won't get away with it. He says, woe to the person who trips people up, who causes them to stumble. I'm going to bring justice against them. Now, we normally read this, I think, if you're anything like me, as a warning against us tripping up other people. But I think Jesus is actually saying to his disciples that they need to watch out for other people who are trying to trip them up. And so it's actually an encouragement of his disciples as they walk along the road to following him uh, that people who try to make them stumble uh, won't get away with it. Uh, They face his judgment. And so Jesus says in verse 3, Watch yourselves. Watch out for these stumbling stones. Don't let them trip you up. And then he goes on to explain how we can avoid things uh, uh, tripping us up. And here's where grace comes in. He says in verse 3, So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Now this actually is the word for sin. And I take it that when this person causes someone else to stumble, that's the sin, the sin that needs to be rebuked or corrected. Jesus is saying watch yourself that when someone causes you to stumble it, it doesn't cause you to sin. Whatever anyone does to you, you choose how you will respond. They might do the wrong thing by you but, but you choose the next step. Uh, no, one will make, no one can make you angry. <laughs> uh, no one can make you uh, do anything really. You get to choose how you Response. Your response is your responsibility. And Jesus tells us what the right response is. If your brother sins against you, it's in his best interest that he changed, that he is corrected. And so you should tell him that he's wrong. Not in a way that's angry, not in a way that's vengeful, uh, but clearly and hopefully calmly. He may not even be aware that he's done anything. And so you should tell him. Now, I don't know about you, I'm not very good at this. Uh, uh, Mostly I I tend to sort of overlook uh, something when someone offends me in some way, uh, rather than confront it. Uh, Most of us, I think, want to put up with these sorts of things. We want to keep the water smooth. We we don't want to risk the relationship. Uh, I don't think Jesus is saying that every single thing that people do against you, you should be confronting. I, I think there's certainly... Uh, lots of little things that we should just overlook in one another. Uh, we should accept. Uh, often I think the problem is ours. You know, We're impatient or we're a bit grumpy and, and so the person is not necessarily doing anything uh, that's terrible and that needs rebuking. But I think Jesus is thinking about those sort of bigger things that uh, people uh, bring against us that, that should be addressed. When people sin against us, it's for their good that we should be correcting them. Because if we can correct it, if we can point out how we're feeling about what they've done to us, then the relationship has the chance to be restored again. And that's what Jesus means by not stumbling over their sin. But when we say nothing, when we just absorb the sin and the hurt... Uh, I think that's when it becomes a stumbling block for us. Uh, we sort of pretend that everything's all right when it's not really. We, we get this knot inside us and we feel angry or bitter or hurt. And our relationship with that person is actually worse than if we would just brought it up and uh, addressed the problem. Jesus says, don't shortcut, don't sidestep, don't avoid the difficult conversation. Uh, Well, that's just step one, isn't it? Rebuke the sin. Uh, Jesus goes on to teach us about part two, and this is where grace comes in. Uh, Rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Uh, Notice it says, if he repents. Uh, What about the situation where he he doesn't recognise his mistake? He doesn't change his behaviour? I think in that case, you wait until he repents before you can offer forgiveness. But if he does repent, then you are to forgive him. Gone, forgotten, never brought up again. There are lots of things that you can do for someone if, if they're not sorry, if they're not repenting but you can't forgive them. If they don't repent, you can't forgive them. You can love someone who has hurt you but not recognised it. You can pray for them. You can serve them. You can want good things for them. You can be open to forgiving them. You can be ready to forgive. You can actually let go of the hurt inside you. But I think this verse is teaching us that until that person repents... Whatever you offer them, it's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is about restoring a relationship and it has to be two-way. There has to be repentance before there's forgiveness. Well, Jesus commands us to forgive any sin against us when someone repents. That's tough, isn't it? Any sin. And not just any sin, but repeated sins in fact 7 times in one day if someone comes back to you and says each time they do it i'm sorry please forgive me can you can you imagine you would start to doubt that they were sincere wouldn't you uh, if 7 times, one hour later they come back say the same thing one hour later they do the same thing each time jesus says forgive forgive that's what grace is though isn't it to to absorb the hurt and offer forgiveness Uh, The person who's understood God's forgiveness, uh, who's recognised their own sin, and and who keeps on sinning, like Christians keep sinning, don't we, who recognises that God still accepts them as a sinful person, should respond with grace to the person who is also sinful, even seven times in one day. We might think that's a lot for someone to sin against us, but put yourself in God's shoes. How many times do you, in thought or word or deed, sin against God? It's more than seven times in a day, isn't it? Uh, So God forgives us. He offers us abundant, sin-covering forgiveness every time, every day, without limit. And so Jesus calls us to offer that forgiveness to others. When the giver experiences life-changing grace, he's able to offer it to others. Do you know that sort of grace that you've received from God? How are you offering that to other people? It might be in sins that you forgive. It might just be in how you offer them your time freely without expecting anything in return. Have you received grace? Are you offering grace? Well, for once the disciples seem to catch the enormity of what Jesus is saying. And when they understand what he's saying, they realise how incapable they are of achieving it. Look at what they say in verse 5 Increase our faith. (laughs) If we're going to forgive someone seven times in one day, we're going to need more faith. We need more resources to do what you're saying. What's the connection between faith and forgiveness? Why do they not ask for power? Why do they not ask for grace? Well, I can think of three reasons. Uh, You need faith to forgive because you need to be able to let go of your need for revenge when someone hurts you. You need to leave room for God's wrath. You need to allow him to deliver the justice. It takes faith to be able to let go of revenge and leave room for God's wrath. Secondly, it takes faith to forgive because naturally within our, our, our nature we think that revenge will make us feel better. If I can get even with that person, that will make me feel better. But God's promise is that blessing comes when we obey him. God promises that, that if we forgive we will feel better than if we take revenge. It will be better for us. And so it takes faith to trust God's promise in that case that forgiveness will be better for us than revenge. Uh, The third reason I think that uh, it takes faith to be able to offer that sort of grace is that to be able to offer grace, you need to understand grace. To be able to understand grace, you need to have experienced it. And how do we experience God's forgiveness? Well, it only comes when we trust his offer of forgiveness through Jesus' work in our place. And so we need faith to receive Jesus, to receive his grace, so that we can then offer it to others. Well, Jesus replies, though, you don't actually need a lot of faith. He says it's not about how much faith you have. He says even a little faith will achieve amazing things. Uh, it's where your faith is placed, rather than how much faith you have. Uh, when you trust God, you are able to forgive, even as much as he's commanding us. Well, that's the first section, verses 1 to 6. Uh, the second section, uh, verses 7 to 14, uh, is about understanding grace in terms of what it means for you. Grace in you. Uh, Jesus goes on to tell a a parable about grace. Uh, He says, imagine a a master and a slave. Verse 7, the slave's job is to work all day in the field and then come in and get dinner ready for his master. And it's only after he's served his master that he thinks about his own food. Uh, Jesus says, I want you to imagine the ridiculous situation where the master would say to the slave, thank you for weeding the field today. You did such a good job, I'm going to reward you by serving you dinner. You can imagine Jesus here is just thinking that was ridiculous. Whatever a slave does, it's simply part of his duty. No matter how much a slave does, he doesn't earn extra credit. He doesn't earn money. He doesn't earn special favours. And Jesus says that's the way it is with us and God. Look at what he concludes in verse 10. So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. When you understand grace, you recognise that you have earned nothing from God. All that he's given you is purely by grace, that we are sinful through and through. Any commands that we have kept... Any law that we followed, it's just what's expected. It doesn't earn you anything, it's what you're expected to do as a servant. There are no levels of acceptability to God. No one deserves forgiveness more than someone else. No one can say that they've cooperated with God for their salvation. Each one of us, any goodness, any obedience, any success we have as a Christian is simply what's expected of us it earns us nothing. No matter how many letters you have after your name or titles you have before, no matter how much money you've donated or how many people you've led to the Lord, it doesn't matter how nice or law-abiding or moral or gentle you are, whatever we've done has earned us nothing before God. I'm simply an unworthy servant. I've only done my duty. That's what it means to understand grace. I wonder when was the last time that you, you caught a glimpse of God's amazing grace for you. I wonder when you last caught a glimpse of your own sin and in comparison, that the radiant brightness of the forgiveness that God offers you. I don't know about you, but for me it's often in the, the, the line, one line in a song that will just sort of grab my heart. Or maybe a Bible verse that it just seems like it jumps out of the page at me. Or even when one of you is up here leading us in prayer and, and there's just a sentence that you say, and I think, oh, that's so good. When you grasp something of your heart and God's goodness, for me at least, it, it makes me weep and smile at the same time. There are just tears and joy. It's often only a glimpse and it often doesn't last long, but it's rich and it's sweet and it's deep and it's one of the great things about being a Christian, I think. Well, understanding grace means we recognise that we're unworthy. Well, the next section, Jesus tells, has told us a parable about grace. Well, next we actually see a living example of someone who's understood grace He's on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, And as he comes into the village, there are ten lepers who call out to him. Uh, And they have enough faith to ask him, Jesus, have pity on us. Uh, They're unworthy servants. They know they they deserve nothing. Uh, And Jesus does show them pity. Verse 14, he says, go, show yourself to the priests. Now, the priests, they were the ones who decided whether they were clean, uh, lepers were clean or not, and whether they could head back into society. And we're told that every one of those lepers trusted Jesus' word. And so they hit the road heading for Jerusalem where the priests are. Now, notice it's before, they start walking even before they've been healed. But look at what verse 14 says. As they went, they were cleansed. You see, their obedience to Jesus' command to to go to the priest was evidence of their faith. And because they had faith, they were healed as they started walking. They knew they needed grace, they needed Jesus, and he showed them grace. But this isn't the end of the story because there's a third part to understanding grace. It's about how we respond. Ten lepers are cured, but there's one leper who responds in a special way. Uh, look at verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. Now, can you imagine? You start walking. You've got the, the numb feet. You, you've got the whatever the sores are on, the, on your hands. And you're walking down the road. Jesus told me to go and show myself to the priest. And maybe, oh, my feet don't feel numb anymore. Or, oh, oh my leprosy's gone. And so this one the rest of them, they just keep walking. But what does the one do? When he saw he was healed, he came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. This is the right response to someone who receives grace. It's gratitude. The other nine head off on their new lives, but only the one man stops, puts his, life, his own life on pause for the moment and turns around and throws himself at Jesus' feet. And it seems like this response is a deeper level of faith than the rest. Jesus says at the end, rise and go, your faith has made you well. The actual word is saved, your faith has saved you. It's actually the same word for healed sometimes. But it seems as if Jesus is saying this man has offered something extra he not just has the faith to be healed of leprosy, but he, he sees something in Jesus as someone who can forgive him and save him and bring him into a new relationship with God. And so Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to respond like that leper, to recognise that you need his grace. Maybe you need to stop walking along that path which is your Your path in life, uh, stop and return to God, uh, to Jesus who offers you grace, and be grateful and offer your gratitude to Him. So, what have we seen tonight? To understand grace, you need to understand yourself, that you're an unworthy servant who needs grace. Uh, To understand grace, you need to understand the one who who gives you grace. Uh, We need to give Him our thanks, we need to give God our thanks and our praise. And then to show that we have received grace, we we show that we understand grace by by living it out, by reflecting God's grace to others, uh, offering them the forgiveness that God's shown us. Uh, You may remember Victor and Leela Abdullah. They were Maronite Christians uh, in Western Sydney in in February 2020, a, a drunk and drugged speeding driver crashed into their family and killed three of their six children. Uh, They made headlines around the world for saying that they had been able to forgive the driver. Uh, Leela said in a recent interview, forgiveness at that time I believe came from the Holy Spirit. Uh, I've been practicing forgiveness all my life on a daily basis when you forgive your parents, your siblings, your friends, your spouse. Uh, These are all small acts of forgiveness, but overall you have to start forgiving the little things in order to be able to forgive the big things. Uh, She concludes, uh, We're all called to be saints. You don't have to be a nun to be a saint. You can find hope in tragedy, embrace pain and forgive unconditionally. Always forgive unconditionally. Uh, It's an extraordinary story about... Uh, Someone who knows the forgiveness of God and has been able to offer that uh, to someone who has hurt her incredibly. Uh, God's forgiven you. Will you forgive others? Uh, You've been shown grace. Uh, Will you show that same grace to others? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we... Thank you for these words of Jesus. We don't just want to hear them. We we want to understand them. We want to experience the grace that you offer us in Jesus. As sinful, undeserving people, you offer to wash away our sin when we come to you in repentance. Please help us to recognise our unworthiness before you Uh, that any service we offer you is is simply what is expected. Uh, Help us also to forgive those who hurt us. Uh, Lord, we pray that in our relationships with one another as a church family that you would make us full of grace uh, so that Jesus might be honoured. Amen.